Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. Our guest today is George Allen. He is chairman at Lowell Farms. We're going to talk about what's going on at Lowell. We're going to talk about really what's going on in the industry at kind of this federal level. You know, unique opportunity here to have a conversation with Someone who's really involved in cannabis at the highest level and, and really looking at where is the market going? How do we navigate the situation we're in with these kind of multiple state markets? What are the strategies? What are the opportunities? What are the challenges? And really kind of find out what's going on at Lowell and what's going on in the cannabis market from a larger perspective. So with that, George, welcome to the program. Hey, I'm grateful to be back. Thanks for having me and uh, look forward to the conversation. Yeah, yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. So we, before we kind of dive into all the details, you know, just kind of refresh people's memories on Lowell and and love to kind of learn a little bit more about your background and how you got involved in cannabis. Give us a little of the backstory. Well, I got so so I've been in cannabis. This is my second company in the cannabis industry. I was at uh, Acreage Holdings before the transaction with Canopy Growth, yep. and um, it's been a lot of fun. I've I made my way out to California, sort of searching for 
the future state of cannabis, you know, looking for what it was going to look like in the future post uh, deregulation or descheduling, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And um, and I, I sort of was excited to find a much more mature market, very much focused on survival of the fittest and success on on brand and execution. And that to me felt like a better place to sort of to sink in and, and cut your teeth in terms of building a franchise because the 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 hot dog vendor model <laughs> that exists in uh, in these limited license marketplaces that that's going to change so quickly and we're already starting to see the impact of that. So, so I think from my standpoint, it was really exciting to get out. And I loved, uh, I, I've been, how I got involved in cannabis is, is sort of a long story that slowly my, my kids are, are weaning out of me, but, uh, <laughs> but, but for the benefit of not listening to podcasts, but you know, I first had a joint when I was 15 years old and it, you know, sort of blew my mind. And yeah. I've had a long relationship with cannabis since then, most of it, under the cover of night and usually yeah. behind closed doors. But, you know, more recently, sort of obviously <laughs> out, in the, out in the open. And, <laughs> and public, uh, it's, yeah. been, it's been an awesome journey. It's been a lot of fun and I love building the business here. But, you know, I will generally say that to the extent that there are budding entrepreneurs who are spending time, you know, on this call and, and listening in, I would generally say I the, the reason to get involved in cannabis business is because you're passionate about it and and you see you see a, a potential for making a career the prospects for sort of almost immediate fortune i think uh i think is is something that brings a lot of people into this industry and you know we we see them often with scar tissue uh soon thereafter because <laughs> yeah. i think it's if you go into it for the right reasons you're going to get what you want out of it if you go into it expecting uh you know an, an immediate fortune i think yeah. i think you're going to have your head served to you yeah, yeah. I'm curious what you know. Given that this is, this is your second, you know, big play in cannabis, what what did you learn from Acreage, or what did you carry over from Acreage in terms of insight, in terms of strategy, in terms of just your kind of own kind of understanding and approach? And then, you know, why Lowell? Like, what was the you know what was the motivation or the insight or the interest in getting involved there? Yeah, it would be hard for me to like to boil it all down to a couple of key things that I learned because it was so eye-opening, right? Yeah. The patient side, the consumer side, the rec side, the cultivation side, the retail side. There's so much to this business that's really fundamental. I, although I did, I will say that like when you really take the industry and you think about it in terms of fast forwarding <clears throat> towards a long-term evolutionary state, I think it's pretty easy to see that a lot of parts of the value chain are, are eventually going to commoditize. And, um, and I think that you can debate the timeline of that occurring, but I think it's pretty easy to see that happening. And one place that's pretty obvious that that you would hope or you would expect from other industries where that's less likely to occur is on the brand creation side. And so creating brands, you know, now in this early state of cannabis, is actually easier than it's going to be in the long-term future. And so getting a foothold, understanding the consumer, building products that sort of speak to that consumer, that's going to be shelf space that it's going to be hard fought and very enduring for a long period of time if you're successful. And obviously, it's that nobody's guaranteed success there because brand creation is almost analogous to to writing a hit song. You don't really know it until you've done it. And <laughs> yeah. uh, and even then, it's you're pretty sure that you, you, you couldn't recreate it if you tried. 
And, and I, there's just no formula for success, right? When you resonate with a consumer, oftentimes we overlook the temporal aspects of brand creation. You know, brand gets created in a moment and that mm-hmm. moment passes and then the same, the same chemistry that creates brand no longer applies. So from my standpoint, I always felt like brand creation here was was where the holy grail was in cannabis if there was going to be a lot of long-term value in the industry. And and um, and California is this sort of massive coliseum, a blood sport where the survivors are those who uh, who who have learned how to, to to create products that resonate with the consumer. And that's been our fun journey. I would talk to me more about the brand because I think this is interesting kind of evolution or transformation in the cannabis industry. You know, like five years ago, you know, it was basically who could stuff as much THC into their product as possible, right? Like it was all it was all kind of this very much about the cannabinoids and stuff. But, you know, now we're starting to see these brands being built, but also you know these segments are starting to kind of develop and change. I mean, how what are the forces at play that have shifted us from being kind of a, like a cultivation product focused industry to starting to really kind of develop these brands? Like, what have you seen kind of? play out that has, that has caused this transformation? Yeah, and I wouldn't call the transformation complete yet. I think the world that you speak to, the one where THC potency tends to be the, the singular most attractive feature of cannabis, that certainly is still the case, very much the case, at least for a large subsegment of the market. So I think, I think you've, I, I don't think a lot has changed there enormously. There are a very small number of uh, sort of must-have brands that exist on shelves. And, uh, and and I think the rest of what a brand means is usually the comfort with the channel. So it, you just have this fascinating, California is this fascinating marketplace where you've got something close to, you know, four or 5,000 growers of cannabis, probably 500 plus brands on the flower side and, you know, several hundred brands on the sort of non-flower based CBG products. You're looking at just an incredibly competitive marketplace to get into 825 stores, whatever it is. And that tends to what a brand means right now is is mostly what it means to the stores who are making the decision to put you on the shelf space because their lives are incredibly complicated. And and to get into onto a shelf, it means that they have to retire somebody else who had that shelf space. And usually what they're looking for is performance or shelf velocity, and they're looking for reliability. And those are the two things that you sort of try to give a customer in terms of how your brand, what your brand means to them. And that today, a lot of the brand battle is with dispensaries. I mean, they hold a lot of the cards, especially in a market as sort of as sort of lopsided as, as California is. Where the brands, there's just so much brand, so much brand power trying to get into into stores. Eventually, it's going to change. Eventually, we'll see more of a sort of a democratic based ordering platform. You know, where I think Weed Maps is is trying to get the world to that kind of place. Yeah. Although, albeit they have a lot of other motives and business models that sort of get in the way or you know interfere with that. But for the most part, the consumer is still probably you know, pretty agnostic to brands, but for a very small few brands and for the rest of the products, they're sort of relying on the shopping experience. And so getting onto shelves and in fighting for shelf space 
there there's brand value there, but it's it's different. It's what it, what do you mean to your stores? How do they feel about you being on their shelves? How reliable are you? How responsive are you to you know to problems? Because inevitably, it was all sorts of it's, it's yeah. CPG. The, inevitably, you know you they're testing you in terms of how you respond to a product quality issue or how you respond to a product outage issue. I think there's a whole bunch of ways in which we measure our success uh, and retention with stores. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break to hear some words from our sponsors. And now back to our program. And give us a little history on Lowell and, and, you know, how have things developed? Um, where are you now? Can give us, walk us through kind of um, what, what's transpired. Well, so Lowell Farms is really uh, is is really a merger of two companies. The previous brand called Lowell Smokes, which was a sort of renegade dawn of legalization brand in California, and I could go into all the things that I think made that brand so magical. But it was really one of the first and uh, and most enduring brands in California. It's one of the first brands to come out and really take the take take the stage, but at the same time, it's held on to the stage. And we've done a nice job of growing it. And we merged that brand with a capabilities-based platform called Indus Holdings, which was the company that I had taken over about two years ago now. And that that business was really about capabilities, a lot of cultivation and a lot of distribution infrastructure and manufacturing capacity, but didn't have a champion or hero brand, as we like to think of it. And so the the industrial logic of the merger made a ton of sense. We were looking at a sort of fair amount of commoditization that was likely to happen in, in cultivation and uh, the need or the desire to have a sort of a hero brand was really pressing. And yes, there are a lot of brands in California, but there's probably a very small handful of brands that I would have thought would have been attractive and capable of sort of surviving the surgery, so to speak. And, and mm-hmm. Lowell, was, Lowell was at the top of the list and it just so happened to be that was a transaction we could put together. So since we've done the acquisition or done the merger of the two businesses in uh, in February of last year, we've had a tremendous amount of success. We grew the Lowell Farms footprint almost 2X since uh, just just slightly under 2X, according to Headset. Over the last 12 months, we've, we've actually taken the number one position in all of California for flower sales, we sell more flour than anybody else in all of California, all uh, in uh, in consumer packaged goods, and, and we're not done there. That's only I think three point four percent market share in flour. Uh, we're the number one full flour pre roll in the state under Lowell Farms, and and really proud of of that market position there, and continue to to take share and and feel really excited about that. We've also got uh, brands that have made a tremendous amount of headway into concentrates and to vapes, and so those are places where we're seeing a lot of growth over the last over the last over the fourth quarter. And all told, I mean, this is a crazy landscape. All told, <laughs> yeah. we're actually the we're actually the seventh largest brand portfolio in the entire state, and and obviously that's something that you know from my perspective, we, we're we're committed to growing. We grow brands way faster than the market grew last year. So we're taking share, I think, um, in almost all of our categories, we're taking share except for edibles. And, um, and, we're, and we're moving up that chart. But it is, uh, it's a, it's California is, it can be just a real, a, a real challenge. You've got to have just a, all parts of your operation really humming to, to take share. 
Yeah. So the strategy of, of putting together cultivation capabilities with brands, I mean, I, that was really kind of seeing kind of the writing on the wall in terms of where the market was going to go. Has, has that has it more or less played out as you thought it would play out in terms of the market? And would you say that that move was sort of a successful move overall? Well, I'd love to tell you that I was Nostradamus and I saw this whole thing coming. <laughs> and uh, the honest God answer is like, I didn't think it was going to happen this fast, not even close. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that I love data and I spent a lot of time looking at the data available in, on, on the Cal Cannabis website and looking, going through, you know, massive amounts of license data. And basically it just, it dawned on us about two or three months after we did the, the Lowell acquisition last summer, that that it was really accelerating. And specifically, we saw a 7x increase in outdoor flower in the state and almost a 40 to 45% increase in canopy across the other formats. And that was just, when we looked at that data, we said, this is just, this is going to, this is going to fall real fast. We can't, can't absorb uh, yeah. all this new capacity. And, um, and the one thing that we did do in sort of answering that was we, we changed our business model. We, we changed originally our business model had very much a sort of similar flavor to someone like Glasshouse, where we, we wanted to go, you know, as much canopies as we could. And I, and I thought, you know, that was logical, right? You can, you can create the lowest cost, marginal cost model and, and win on, on marginal cost and consistency. I think, you know, eventually when you get to know who's behind the canopy in California, the marginal cost model starts really breaking down because there are so many participants in the in the sort of the supply stack yeah. that are participating for uneconomic reasons. I think probably the most obvious of which is, but for this, what else would they do? They're yep. the people who have committed their lives to cannabis, many of which are coming over from you know the illicit market or the gray market, whatever you want to call it. Yep. And so you have this sort of uneconomic factor of of um, of participation. And when you weigh that in, you can say, this is going to look a lot like a commodity cycle, but at the same time, you don't necessarily have rational behavior on market participation in a commodity cycle. And that, and that only exacerbates it. So we sort of started spending some time trying to figure out what to do with that business model. And we uncovered some, some missing parts of the value chain. And we built a business around it that basically serves serves other people that grow with, you know, processing based services. And so creating some scaled infrastructure that can be used to, um, to support all sorts of growers without necessarily having to grow ourselves. And, and so far, we've been really happy with the success in that model and, and looking to build and grow in it. Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about the acquisition merger. Uh, these things are hard enough in any market. How, you know, what, I guess, how did it go? Was being in cannabis harder or easier? What was the, I guess, what was the process like? Any surprises as, as part of you really kind of making these organizations work well together? Uh, well, it was during COVID. So I think, you know, you have so many different factors, the acquisition, the first of which was during COVID. That is hard and easier. You know, th there's some things about working during COVID where the expectation is that everyone's participating remotely. So in an acquisition where people are, you know, people are sort of distributed, you don't have the the necessary sort of town gown or here there kind of relationship you have because everybody is sort of has equal weight on a on a Zoom call. And th that was kind of interesting to go through that. In fairness, we, we integrated the Lowell 
acquisition like really quickly. We didn't have a lot of choice but to uh, collapse infrastructure into one operating facility, and that, so there was some pain in the new in that. But um, that you know, we, it was paramount to the business and to yeah. the synergies we saw. Yeah. So where are we now in terms of expansion? You know, you're obviously, you know, a leader in the California market. Are you looking at other markets? How is that playing out? What's your strategy in terms of really growing on a more national level? Yeah. So, I, I mean, first of all, yes. I mean, we are, I think there's 130 million people who sort of live blissfully under the grace of God in a state that has <laughs> access to to recreational weed. And yeah. we want to be as, you know, deep and as far in those markets as we can. We've launched into Illinois and Massachusetts and with California, it gives us access to just a little over 45% of the recreational market. We're going deeper and further. We've got, we've announced plans to move into Michigan. Uh, that should be happening very soon. We've got a number of other states that we're, we're working through and we have the ability to go deeper with product catalog as well. One thing that's constantly weighing on us is the, is the notion of, you know, licensed operations versus some sort of uh, sort of asset medium kind of model, and yeah. and we look at that all the time. But right now, I'm incredibly grateful for the partnership we have with Ascend, and they've been good guys to us, and and certainly have championed our brand in a way that makes us feel like they respect it. So so far, it's been a great partnership, and I look forward to doing more with them. Yeah, and how does you know kind of this the <laughs> I guess the the prospect or the lack of the prospect of a, a federal legalization kind of play into your strategic thinking around this? I mean, I, you know, if, if we do go, you know, some level of federal legalization, interesting commerce, being able to transport and stuff, I mean, is, you know, how, how do you kind of balance the, you know, short-term need to get into these markets, you know, with the longer term, the, this world could look very different and I might need to kind of change both my strategy and my operational kind of posture, depending on how this plays out. Like, how do you balance these things? Well, I think the end state of, you know, a, a federally cohesive market probably would keep us from making very asset intensive acquisitions or commitments in, in other markets. Yeah. I sort of subscribe to a sort of a different philosophy than than most about decriminalization or, or descheduling. Mm-hmm. I guess the way I think about it has always been the gray market, which we think is kind of just magically going to go away. But by no means is going to go away, and I think I think the uh, especially as as tax levies this absurd tax regime uh, <laughs> continues uh, on cannabis, and so I think what you're likely to see is that the gray market kind of morphs over time, and the I personally think that by participating in the California marketplace and getting our products into the California market, eventually what you're going to see is an increasing comfort level that people have disregarding the boundaries of of state uh, state by state boundaries and i think i think what that likely means over time is even without uh, interstate commerce the you're going to see a fair amount you're going to see the gray market transition from like folks in box trucks moving across the interstate to people you know, consumers having micro businesses, just putting stuff in the mail to other consumers. Once the sort of federal illegality goes away. And so you're going to, what that all means is the second that they do something from a federal illegality perspective, interstate commerce becomes a de facto right. And it's going to be very hard to normalize against that or to protect against that. And I think you're starting to almost already see that with sort of the declines in prices 
and and I think declines in prices and volumes that are occurring in some of the some of the faster growing rec markets like Illinois and Michigan, where you've seen slides in uh, in volumes and prices. Personally, I think that that is California weed competing with yeah. uh, rec dispensaries in those marketplaces, and 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 that's just going to continue until the unlikely event that somebody decides to to really start cracking down and enforcing it. But that's cracking down and enforcing cannabis laws requires a political sort of a fortitude that I don't think you know they have they have the sort of the the mandate for. So I think we're just going to continue to see more of the same. From my standpoint. Focus on building brands. It's going to be cheaper now to build brands than it will ever be in the future. I'm, yeah. I'm convinced of that. Once Facebook and Instagram opens up for cannabis brands, you can guarantee that y- your your cost of customer acquisition and cost of brand impression is going to really rise pretty quickly because it's going to be very busy out there. Yeah. Um, so, so from my standpoint, like to, I think the name of the game today, even though it's not that popular is is really focus on uh, brand creation and brand equity as opposed to you know capacity and and flags around the country yeah and what are what are some of the kind of policy or you know legal changes changes in the market that you're most I don't know, kind of focused on that you think are really going to drive this industry I mean we've got all sorts of tax issues in California we've got all of the you know, Facebook and Google platforms that are still restrictive. Obviously, some of the federal stuff. We've got 280E. I mean, we safe banking. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of potential things that could change, you know, through policy, through, you know, shifts in the market. What do you think are the ones that are really going to be impactful to players in, in different parts of this, um, you know, cannabis world? Well, you know, it's funny that I had a really great government affairs person back at Acreage. And I we don't have a government affairs part of our business uh, lol but we i had a really good one at acres and i had a really bright guy uh who who was pretty well entrenched in washington he said look everyone's going to be focused on these bills that get thrown up in congress but for a long time they're just going to be political punching bags yeah what what i think was interesting from his perspective that he, he counseled me is just watch deep republican states and what they do in their own backyards with medical and recreational programs. Because the the further they get away from the narrative Republican obstructionist positions, right? It, Mississippi, Louisiana, Texas, yeah. what the further they get away from cannabis as a crime policy at, in the state level, Tennessee and North Carolina, the closer you're going to be towards getting real policy change in Washington. And I think the one thing that we've seen, we haven't seen a lot of progress this year in terms of Washington, and we could debate whether or not, you know, there's going to be some slingshot, uh, you know, behavior or some sort of rescue mission here right before the midterms. But I think what we have seen is we have seen a fair amount of movement down at the state level towards normalizing cannabis. And and that that's just... Um, in my opinion, that makes it very difficult for legislators on both sides of the aisle to have a don't want to talk about a position on cannabis. And, and the more that happens, the more likely we're going to be towards getting real change. 
Any particular markets that you're really kind of focused on? I mean, we've got a couple of new states coming online, uh, or at least theoretically coming online, depending on how they play out legislative kind of processes here. But like, what's most interesting to you in terms of growth of the current uh, cannabis markets? Well, it's in fairness, I'd probably think more about, you know, in, New York is fascinating. I mean, New York's my home. And, yeah. and New York is fascinating because New York is probably the second or first largest consumer on the gray market. And just understanding how that market's going to peel off and and actually go towards a structured a structured market, I'm fascinated to watch how that occurs and the, how successful it's been. The obviously the medical program in New York has been one of the punching bags for the industry for a long time. So yeah. I, I'm kind of curious as to how that works and and whether or not the you know what we call the legacy or gray market how it responds in New York. And then you know I have to say like look Oklahoma is a big deal and what's yeah. happening in oklahoma is a big deal because the oklahoma is is to a lesser extent california without the it sort of has the same come one come all or open access policy towards licensing but it doesn't have the regulatory red tape that california has mm-hmm. and and you've seen just a massive amount of increase in participation from from the cultivation perspective that weed's got to go somewhere. And I, so I think what I pay attention to is just the surge of canopy in Oklahoma and how fast that's going to cause real, real friction and pressure against uh, just general wholesale prices across the country. Yeah. George, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, more about Lowell, what's the best way to get that information? Well, that's pretty darn easy. IR at lowellfarms.com is our email address. Lowellfarms.com is obviously our, our website and Instagram. We're at, at Lowell Farms uh, and Twitter is uh, at Lowell Farms Inc. So we'd love to, to have anyone join the conversation there. And we're super excited about what we're building and um, uh, we'll keep you posted on our progress. Excellent. I'll make sure that all the info and handles and everything are in the show notes. George, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Hey, thank you. Really appreciate your time. Take care. That's it for this episode of Thinking Outside the Bud. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.